We are going to be in the book of Acts throughout the morning as we continue our series on generosity. Last week, CJ began our series with an excellent message on the importance of giving to the community around us, such giving that extends to even the least in society, without expecting anything in return, that is evidence of Jesus' work in our hearts. As C.J. put it, generosity begins in the heart before it comes from the wallet. But there is another evidence of generosity, and that is how we treat the family of God. If we have a heart like Jesus, our giving will impact our church family. And it will do so in ways that extend beyond just money. In fact, most of us could attest some of the most precious gifts we have ever received were gifts that involved no money at all. Just the giving of oneself to a brother or a sister in need. One such person in my life was a man by the name of Ben Hathaway. If you've been here for a while, you've heard me talk about Ben. I've got have probably about a hundred Ben stories. I, uh, I met Ben uh, during the early stages of my first ministry in Cincinnati. It's no exaggeration to say, if not for Ben, it is doubtful I'd be here preaching today. I'd been in ministry only a couple of years when I hit an absolute wall. I was emotionally drained, and due to a series of events, I felt like such a failure, I was ready to quit the ministry altogether. One night, I was alone at the church building. It was very late, and I, I thought it was just me and the Lord in the darkness of that sanctuary. I was weeping, I was broken, I was on my knees crying out to God. But then that same God I was praying to prompted Ben to drive by the building at that very moment. And as he drove by, he saw my car out front and moved by the Spirit, as he would tell me later, he came in and he found me. For a long time, he just knelt there next to me, silently praying with me. Then he took my hands and he began to pray out loud in a way that no one else could have done. And he taught me that my Lord understood all that I was going through. And Jesus, the one with the nail scars in his hands, he would bring me through this valley. I'm still in ministry today more than 30 years later because of that night, that prayer, those words of encouragement from my friend Ben. And I can't tell you how many hundreds of people have been encouraged by that story to continue to trust in Jesus, to keep holding on to Him. What Ben did for me will stay with me forever. I learned something that night. I, 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 I figure that I already knew it in my head. I mean, you know how you'll know things in your head. But I needed, I needed it anchored down in my soul. We all need each other. All of us. No one gets through this life on their own. God has designed us for relationship. And not just relationship with Him, 
but with others that God himself has made in, in his image. We all need encouragement. The encouragement we gain from those who love us. And we need to give that love as much or even more than we need to get that love. The man in our text this morning, he understood that. So much so that in fact the apostles gave him a nickname. The Encourager. Acts chapter 4 verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own but they had everything in common. And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. I love this phrase. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Wow. I mean, what a church, right? I mean, sharing everything, no needy persons, no one claiming, this is mine, this is mine, and nobody can have it. No one was acting like that. This was just a church family doing God's will, God's way. But even with all that encouraging, there was one guy who seemed to stand out above them all, Barnabas. Actually, Barnabas was not his name at birth. His birth name was Joseph. Barnabas was his Nickname, verse 36. Thus, Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, he sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Think about that for a moment. This man was such an encourager, the apostles nicknamed him the encourager. I mean, how fantastic is that? I wonder, if you were given a nickname that expressed your most prominent trait, what would it be? Would it be something like helper or servant, merciful, compassionate, loving, forgiving, humble? Of course, there, <laughs> there, there, there could be some less flattering nicknames, right? Proud. Busybody, stingy, greedy, grumpy, gossip, complainer, divisive. Personally, I, I would rather choose from that first list of nicknames, but that's the thing. You don't ordinarily choose your own nickname. Barnabas did not choose his. The word the apostles used to describe Barnabas referred to someone who comes alongside another to give help or assistance. In fact, Jesus used a form of that same word to describe the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's quite a compliment, don't you think? But you get the idea Barnabas truly lived up to his name. Whatever the need, whatever the occasion, Barnabas shared whatever he had to benefit others. Take, for example, the passage that we just read. When needs arose in the church, Barnabas encouraged others by sharing his possessions. Make no mistake, 
as great as this church was, and it was great, these were challenging days for Christians in Jerusalem. Although there had been significant growth in their first few months of existence, their growth resulted in a great deal of notoriety. The same Jewish leaders who had brought about the crucifixion of Jesus, uh, they were now making threats against Jesus' followers. Peter and John had actually been arrested for giving credit to the risen Jesus for their power to heal a man who had been lame for over 40 years. They were warned, don't preach anymore in the name of Jesus, the precious, the wonderful, the powerful name of Jesus. Don't do that anymore. But of course, you know the story, right? The disciples refused to back down. They proclaimed Jesus regardless of cost. And it did cost them. In addition to opposition from Jewish leaders, these new believers faced social isolation. They were fired from their jobs by their unbelieving bosses. They were evicted from their homes. Family members were cut off from Jewish households. Without any form of governmental assistance, who would provide for the needs of the poor, for the needs of the widows, for the needs of the hurting among them? See, it all came down to the Lord working through His church. And the believers stepped up. With one heart, one mind, they all shared all they had. No one claimed any of His possessions was His own. They shared everything. Christianity at its best. Men and women, including Barnabas, did more than talk about what someone ought to do. Barnabas himself took a field that he owned. He sold it, gave the proceeds to the apostles to use as needed. Now, Barnabas was that guy you wanted to have at your side in a crisis. He didn't see his stuff as his stuff. He was simply a steward of God's stuff. And it wasn't enough to talk about what needed to be done. He got involved. And he did so with no strings attached in the ancient Middle East. To lay something at the feet of another was symbolic of surrendering control of whatever was placed there. A soldier might surrender his sword. A king might surrender his crown. And in this instance, Barnabas surrendered the proceeds of the field that he had sold to the apostles. Whatever the need, he surrendered whatever he had so the need could be met. Don't you think that's the way it ought to always be in the church? We would all say people are more important than things. That we should love people and use things and not the other way around. But often our actions don't portray that kind of attitude. Just think for a moment. What is your giving? The, the way you share what you have been given by God with others, whatever you share with others, what does it say about you? Whatever you love, that will get the bulk of your attention. Jesus put it this way. 
where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So, question. Where is your treasure? Well, where is your heart? As the story of the church continues in the book of Acts, we see Barnabas continuing to share. But he does so not just monetarily. He does so in ways other than his pocketbook. Acts 9 tells the story of a man named Saul. Saul was an aggressive, violent persecutor of the Lord's church. He was not only present at the brutal execution of a young preacher named Stephen. Luke hints that he may have actually held a lead role in that awful event. And after Stephen's stoning, we are told that Saul sought to literally destroy the church. He went from house to house. He drug off men and women and put them in prison because of their faith. But while on a journey to Damascus to arrest Christians in that city, Saul was confronted by the risen Lord Jesus himself. He was stunned. In fact, he was blinded by Christ's awesome appearance. Saul humbly obeyed Jesus. He was led to the city by his friends. And he waited for a believer by the name of Ananias to instruct him more fully concerning the gospel. And then, according to that gospel... He was baptized into Christ and he had his sins forever washed away. Saul went through such a transformation from persecutor of the church to proclaimer of the gospel. He even went through a name change of his own. From Saul of Tarsus, he would eventually be known as Paul the Apostle. But not everyone believed he had truly been converted. Even Ananias, the man who baptized him, he had to first be convinced by the Lord Jesus himself that this change of heart was real. And and it didn't get much better when Saul, now a convert to Christianity, when he went back to Jerusalem. Acts chapter 9, beginning with verse 26. And when he, that is Saul, had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. They were all afraid of him, for they didn't believe he was a disciple. I love these next two words. But Barnabas, Barnabas. See, he took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. And so he went in and out among them at Jerusalem preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. See, when no one else believed in Saul, Barnabas encouraged him by standing up for him. Not only did he trust Saul, he put his own reputation on the line. He became Saul's advocate, his intercessor, pleading his case to others for him. We live in a world of ever-increasing distrust. You simply can't believe anyone anymore. But what if Barnabas had felt that way about Saul? 
The world would have been deprived of its greatest missionary, its greatest church planter, its most prolific New Testament writer. Had it not been for Barnabas standing up in Saul's defense, there may have never been an Apostle Paul. Do you think there may be some other Saul's out there? I mean, young or old, male, female, rich, poor. See, it really makes no difference. As to their past, when grace is truly applied, there is no sin that cannot be forgiven. But far too often, I think you may have found that the doors of the church are harder to get through than the gates of heaven. Why is that? Sometimes it's fear, right? I mean, not, just, not just fear of physical harm, but fear of what others might think if we're associated with such a person. Fear of being taken. Fear of being made a fool of. Fear that our efforts might be a waste of time. For others, well, the issue is anger or bitterness. Those things get in the way. Did you ever think about the friends that Barnabas would have had in Jerusalem? Since he was involved in helping the church, he was involved with their growth, with their benevolence. Do you think it's possible that Barnabas and Stephen, the man that Saul had killed, do you think that Barnabas and Stephen might have been friends? Do you think that it's possible that some that Saul had imprisoned might have been family members or neighbors of Barnabas. But Barnabas understood the kingdom of God. See, it's about grace. It's about Jesus. It's about listening to Him. And so Barnabas still acted on Saul's behalf. All too often the problem is simply one of pride. A spirit that says, you don't belong in the same church with me. Now I know you're out there saying, well, nobody does that, right? Nobody would say that. But we show that. And we show that when we don't connect with people. When they come one way, we leave the other. That, that happens when there are individuals that we feel the prompting of the Spirit to reach out to. But frankly, we just don't want to get involved. Not with someone like that. I, I don't want to get in the middle of all that stuff. It's too messy, right? How many souls have been kept from becoming Pauls by so-called Christians looking down at them proclaiming, you're just not good enough. Barnabas did not allow any of those obstacles to get in his way. He gave Saul what every broken-hearted prodigal son or daughter needs. A second chance. There's one more snapshot from Barnabas' life I, I want to look at. Something else he gave from a heart of encouragement. When a young man made the biggest mistake of his life, Barnabas encouraged him by giving himself. It all started 
A few years after the events in Acts chapter 9, the church began to grow rapidly. Barnabas and Saul, now Paul, they were sent out by the church in Antioch to take the gospel beyond the borders of Palestine to the island nation of Cyprus and then on to Asia Minor, modern Turkey. It was a highly successful missionary journey, establishing numerous churches, reaching untold numbers of disciples. But it wasn't all good news. A young believer by the name of John Mark, a relative of Barnabas, he left the team in the early stages of the journey. And although no reason was given as to why he left, later in Acts chapter 15, Paul labeled what John Mark did as an act of desertion. It is at that point that we pick up the story, Acts chapter 15, verse 36. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let's return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them, had deserted them in Pamphylia, and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him, and he sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Before we go any further, it should be noted that the inspired writer Luke nowhere gives us his take on who was right and who was wrong. Was Paul being too harsh? Was Barnabas being too soft? Both men acted according to their character. Paul, bold, aggressive, no nonsense. Barnabas, always the encourager, always the champion of the underdog, just as he had been with Paul in the beginning, so now, so now he was with John Mark. Being an encourager does not mean you will always be popular, nor does it mean you will never have conflict, but it does mean you'll use everything at your disposal, even your own life, in order to help someone in need. That's exactly what Barnabas did. He shared his whole self. John Mark had tried and failed. Imagine being labeled a deserter by none less than the great Apostle Paul. Now, it's one thing to fail, it's quite another to be labeled a failure. You can almost hear Barnabas, can't you? Reminding Paul of what he had been before he met Jesus. And you can almost imagine Paul's likely response, right? Well, that's, that, that's, that's right, Barnabas, but that was before I met Jesus. What I did, I did in ignorance. John Mark should have known better. Now, the reason that I can so easily imagine such conversations taking place is that such conversations still take place in the Lord's church. Because there are some who find it so much easier to forgive a sinner his sins who has never known the Lord than to forgive a brother or sister who has fallen away. 
But Barnabas had his sights set on something beyond forgiveness. This encourager was focused on nothing less than complete restoration. Question. Can God use a broken believer? Ask Peter, who after three and a half years of following Jesus was broken, shattered by fear. He eventually denied three different times. He even knew who Jesus was. And yet, Jesus not only forgave him, he restored this broken disciple and used him as one of the church's greatest preachers. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Not a chance. The problem is not with God. Most often broken believers stay broken for lack of a Barnabas. Is there someone, someone you know who needs an encourager? Someone you know that needs Someone to believe in them. Someone to put an arm around them. Someone to walk them back toward the Savior and His church. See, that's what Barnabas did for John Mark. As the years went by, Paul continued to serve the Lord. His ministry was highly visible and highly successful, but success came at a price. The last letter he would ever write was written from a Roman prison to a young preacher by the name of Timothy. And in that letter, he pointed to his own inevitable death that would soon come to pass at the hands of his captors. But Paul had learned a great deal from Barnabas. In fact, he became quite an encourager himself. You read some of his last letters And you can see the influence of Barnabas. And as he closed out this, his last letter, he gave this instruction to Timothy. Get Mark. Bring him with you. He is very useful to me for ministry. Here's what I believe. I believe Paul wrote that down in that letter. So that even if Caesar took his life, he could leave behind these words for John Mark. From deserter to helpful to Paul himself in ministry. Oh, and by the way, eventually the author of the second gospel in our New Testaments. The gospel of Mark. What made the difference? A man named Barnabas. Now, we don't hear much about Barnabas after he parted company with Paul in Acts 15. But that's okay. Encouragers tend to do their best work behind the scenes, out of the spotlight. They don't get headlines. They just get the job done. Evidence of their work is seen in souls repaired, reclaimed, restored. Someone you know needs a Barnabas. 
They need someone willing to encourage them by sharing what you have. By you taking a stand for them. By you giving of your very self. All it takes is someone who is willing to love them the way Jesus loves. Is that person you? I want to close with another story about my friend Ben. We've been visiting a a patient in a hospital in Cincinnati, something Ben was always ready to do. He never turned down an opportunity to help someone who was hurting. We had finished our visit. In fact, if I remember correctly, we had had visited uh, several uh, church members in that same hospital that afternoon. As we walked down the hall... I was going on and on about where I was headed and a list of things that I still had to do when suddenly I realized that the person I'd been talking to, Ben, wasn't there. I was at a loss to know what had happened to him and so I began to retrace my steps and I found Ben in a hospital room kneeling next to an elderly woman, both of them with tears in their eyes, and Ben was praying. I quietly waited by the door until Ben was finished. And as we left, I asked him, I asked him if he knew the woman, to which he replied, no. But I heard her crying, and I just couldn't pass her by. Sounds a lot like Barnabas, doesn't it? And I pray, I pray it sounds like you. 